0: Welcome to Nobody Told Me That, your source for candid business talk and stories. Your host is speaker and author Teresa Duncan. Sit back, buckle up, and hang on. here with my good friend Dana Johnson of Navoni. Welcome everybody to the Nobody Told Me That podcast. I am trying to bring you more people, more viewpoints, more, just more. So Dana is one of the people that I wanted to reach out to. I've actually been wanting her on this podcast for a while. She is my Dentrix go-to. There's probably two people in the country that I trust with like all the Dentrix knowledge and she's definitely one of them. And I just... No, you guys are going to get a lot out of this now i know that i said dentrix you guys if you have open dental or if you have eaglesoft or whatever it doesn't matter the stuff that she's going to talk about is pretty much across all platforms so it's not going to be a dentrix specific it's just that that's what i know her from um i also know her for being the wife of kevin henry who you all may recognize as my frequent and constant companion in crime and uh Dana is just uh, one of those people that you need to know in
1: the industry. Welcome to the podcast, Dana. Thank you, Teresa. It's I'm super excited to be on. it's been I've been wanting to be on your podcast too, so thank you for the invite.
0: Of course. Yeah. And I'm sorry it took so long, but you know what? I'm finally getting my stuff together with this podcast. There's a lot of mechanics and there's a lot of work behind it. And I think I finally got a handle on it. So now I'm going to start rolling out the guests. And like I said, you were like way top of the list. So I'm glad you could make some time. There is a fun thing about Dana that I think some people know, but I think I want more people to know about that. Uh oh, She makes a really great smoked salmon. Oh my God. I wanted to say that because you I've been lucky enough to receive the smoked salmon from you. I will just get a whiff of it before
1: Noah you know, completely inhales it. <laughs> devours it. And he's always like, Is she
0: sending more
1: anytime soon? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Like, you know, you should just, you should offer to buy it from her. She'll send it, you know, because I I feel bad that you're always like smoking salmon
1: for so many people. But you really, you dig that, right? Because where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in Seattle. Seafood is one of my favorite things. And getting fresh salmon from the Pacific Northwest is the best. When I lived up there, I got my own smoker and I started experimenting with recipes. And this one is just really good. I love it. Now that I live in Colorado, whenever I'm in Seattle, I bring salmon home in a cooler. Do they let you fly with that? Oh, yeah. You just wrap it up and then you you check it? I just bring it right on the plane with
0: me. Oh, got it. Okay. It was funny. We were at well, gosh, we've had so many dinners together, but I just remember one time we were looking at the different salmon on the menu and you were like, within like, like 30 seconds, that's the one you want. That's not good. And oh, that, I was like, wow, because cause you're like the salmon whisperer, like how people are with wine and they know like which valleys and years and all that, like, you know, which rivers are good. <laughs> it's pretty cool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know, I know. Whenever Kevin and I go out to dinner, and there's salmon on the menu, I always, the first question is, "Where's your salmon from?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that that's really funny. So yeah, so people should know that there is just more to computers to Dana. There is uh, there's fish too. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> so- your company is called Navoni. And yes. do you want to share how you came up with that
1: name? Oh, gosh, you want me to share the, how I, I came up with the name? The name? It's such it's a good, beautiful. I know, it's such a good story. Navoni actually came about from my experience, you know, being a Dentrix trainer, consultant, speaker. The way it came about was I just wanted to be able to reach more people. I was doing user meetings around the country and noticing that there were a lot of people like in Alaska and Montana and, and places all over the world that don't have access to the resources that we have here, you know, in some, you know, metropolitan cities. And so I wanted to be able to reach more people with webinars and user meetings. And so I started a Dentrix online community called Navoni. Navoni over the past couple of years has just grown into more of just a community, it embodies all of my in-office training, my speaker uh, information. And so Navoni's actually become my entire brand, which has been amazing. But how I came up with the name, it was really interesting because, you know, I hired a marketing company to help me with the website and the name and the logo and the colors and everything. And when we were doing our online meeting, talking about the name, you know, they started asking me about, tell us a little bit about what you like to do and things that you like and tell us about your family. So I have one daughter. She lives up in Seattle. She's 25. Well, she has special needs and I'm really proud of her. And she's amazing. Her name's Lauren. And will tell us when when's her birthday. And her birthday is November 1st. So if you look at how Navoni is spelled, N-O-V-O-N-E-E, Well, the first six letters of Navoni is November 1. So the name actually came about from a very personal story. It was my daughter's birthday. Yeah. And so we added an extra E just for the URL and phonetics and things like that. So it was, that's such a great story, you know, and how, how you come up with the name of your company is sometimes very very personal.
0: Yeah. And your daughter was just thrilled when you told her about it.
1: Oh, oh, yeah. that's. I mean, I just
0: think it's a beautiful story. And I remember you were so excited when you told me about it. I think we were sitting, we were in, I think, Chicago midwinter having lunch or something and we um, were in, uh, sitting uh-huh. at a bar. I remember this we were sitting at a bar and you were telling me about it. And I was just like, wow, like I just picked Odyssey Management because I was a classics major and I loved the Odyssey. And I thought, oh, I'm going to take my clients on a journey. But yours, you came out of the box yeah. with this really personal, beautiful thing. And I was like, oh, OK, that's really good. <laughs>
1: I think the name of your company or the name of your brand is when it's very personal, it's very passionate. You know, you have a lot of interest in it and and then you have this great story and and it's just fun.
0: I I like when dentists do, they pick their practice names to be something different than, well, first of all, just Dr. Johnson. So I think we've moved past that. I don't think a lot of people are opening up Dr. Johnson, DDS, you know, instead of things like Nashville City Dentistry, like that's, you know, very generic and all that. I, I'm seeing a lot of really cute, creative names. Um, one, one former client is Dot Dentistry because she's ortho and she <laughs> works with a lot of kids and, you know, her husband's PETA. I mean, just better with this. And so I think you're right. The name is a total reflection of your brand and you got to make it so that you love
1: it, right? Exactly. It is your brand. You know, it becomes part of who you are. Let's talk about you and
0: how you have grown, well, first of all, you've grown Navoni a large amount, so congrats on that. And you are just all over the place with your in-office consulting. You do focus mostly on Dentrix, but I know we talked about the fact that we want to make this inclusive for other software. We just came back from a Shine Summit. One of the things I talked yes. about was third-party software, third-party integrations. I mean, they kind of gave us an overview of theirs, and that got you and me talking about third-party software and how it integrates with all different practice management systems. Give me your thoughts on that. I just sense you probably get a lot of calls because of third-party software issues. So, give us some tips on on how to make that work the best in your software.
1: Yeah, we see that a lot. And- and so just to give you a little bit of background, before I was even in dentistry, before I was a dentrix trainer and all of that, I started out working for my uncle who had a computer company. We installed computer systems, networks, hardware, and software into medical and dental offices. So you know, my background comes from installations and installing and building computers and things like that. So you know, I kind of saw this, this starting, you know, from the ground level up. And I really learned a lot about how things work together and so when I then I did start working in a dental practice I was really techie I just loved troubleshooting things I loved trying to figure out why something wasn't working or troubleshooting or thinking why is this working and this isn't you know these are the same two computers why is this one working and this one isn't so I was always really intrigued with stuff like that you know I was always crawling under desks and with my (laughs) screwdriver or trying to get things to work so (laughs) I love I love that part of it. And that's kind of where my background came from. You know, so when you think about third-party software nowadays, Dentrix wouldn't work or EagleSoft wouldn't work or other practice management softwares wouldn't work if they didn't have integrations with other third-party softwares like Adobe, Java, Microsoft, Windows and Dragon naturally speaking. And so we've got all this third-party software Integrating with our practice management software. What I have found over my career is that we have to have the right version working with our practice management software. Otherwise things can break down. What I would troubleshoot over the phone with the support techs, you know, what we would find is I would have one thing that would stop working and then they would, they would promote in and we would talk it over and I would find that I had two versions of Adobe running at the same time. One version was overlapping the other one, which was crashing some part of my system. I've watched that over time and it's something that I don't know that we can really fix, but I think it's just that the offices need to be aware when your team members are responsible for the upgrades or for the clicking yes to upgrade this third-party software. We have to know how is that going to work with my practice management software? I think that the offices need to take a big, deep breath. Instead of clicking yes at everything, we need to say or reach out to our hardware or tech support people and say, should I be doing this update? And also just being really aware of what third-party softwares you are using that integrates with your practice management software because everything works together. Everything depends on each other. If we change the dynamics of the third-party software with the practice management software, then that's where we're going to have some, some technology conflicts.
0: Well, and a lot of times, too, the hardware is just not adequate. I mean, are you seeing, I know, gosh, when I used to be in an office, I'd walk in and it would be like the most ancient computer and click on something and it would take a good 10 seconds for it to load and and it was normal for them you know. Yeah.
1: I know. And and hard so hardware is a completely other and the next topic. When we think of third party software just to kind of finish up, I think it's really important that your team have some kind of a protocol that you just don't click yes at something just because it pops up on your screen and says, oh, there's a new version of Java. Do you wish to download? I think that we have to step back and say, should I be saying yes to this? So we need to have some protocols in place in our offices so that things don't get broken. I mean, even offices nowadays have online music playing throughout their office in the treatment rooms. And I remember when I, in my own practice, we had, we used to use Mm -hmm. iTunes. There was even an iTunes update that changed something in our system and on those workstations that did this iTunes update that affected our antivirus software somehow. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And we had we had no idea because a lot of times these updates are set on a auto update schedule. It would update right in the middle of us doing x-rays or, or doing treatment planning in the room. And all of a sudden it would be updating Adobe or Java or iTunes right in the middle of us treating a patient. And we're like, no. And so, you know, you're frantically trying to close down this auto update. That's another thing to make sure of in all of your rooms, like your treatment rooms, so that it doesn't affect your patient care, is make sure that your auto updates are shut off and have a system for doing the updates on a regular basis. But maybe you have a IT company or maybe you have a a techie in your office that can do it, that understands you know, the ramifications of doing the update. I think that's just really important. You know, we didn't used to have all of this integration, but now that we do, we've evolved into where third-party software is just part of our practice management software. We have to take a step back and organize it a little bit more than we used to.
0: Now, it's it's difficult, though, from an office. So let's take it from an office manager point of view. Usually that's going to fall in that person's lap or the doctor owner. So if this person has no real tech experience or just minimal, well, first of all, if they have minimal, then they end up doing more damage, right? Like
1: they they do. They do. Absolutely, (laughs) I
0: hate to say it, but it's true.
1: Uh, I know they're, uh, you know, what is that? They're, they know enough (laughs) to be dangerous.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like good intentions, but really bad execution. And what do you recommend in that situation? Do you recommend, Contracting with an IT company for regular stuff, or do you have one on retainer? Or if you were in that situation, what what would be your go to if you didn't have all the background you did?
1: I was kind of a unique situation because I had a technology background, so I came from that, so I was a little special. But I these, these days, I do recommend having an IT company on retainer. I would definitely. There are a lot of hardware and tech companies, Tech Central, or look in your local area. Like here in Colorado, we have company called Cornerstone up in Seattle, there's a company called CRC, you know, so look in your local area and see who can we contract to take care of our hardware and our software, because it is a big job, you know, you have to make sure that your backup is successful every day. You have to make sure that there were no errors on your backup. A lot of these natural disasters that are happening in our country. I was booked in an office recently right before the car fire in Redding, California. I know. And the office manager called me in a frantic, you know, Friday morning and I was supposed to fly out on Sunday and she calls me and she goes, the doctor just went to the office and grabbed the server. And having a good backup is, is critical when you have your livelihood is in the computer, Mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of people are moving to the cloud, but even with cloud software, we still have to protect our patient data. It's a big job these days having the updates monitored by somebody that has that experience and that knowledge and also understanding the hardware requirements, which is kind of our next topic. You know, you can find probably going to cost, you know, between Five and eight hundred dollars a month to have a hardware company on retainer, Mm -hmm. but the peace of mind that it gives you and having somebody that you can go to when these software updates do pop up on your screen and say, Oh, I'm just going to pause that and have my hardware company take care of that. It just gives you peace of mind. It Also, a lot of these IT companies included in their retainer fee will also change out your computers like every three or four years. So that's a huge bonus if you can have that because we just know with the changes of hardware requirements that sometimes computer hardware just doesn't keep up with the changes in the software. And, and
0: sometimes they, you know, these doctors will purchase a USB camera, the, the computer is just not able to, you know, handle it. So even the new technology that you're spending really good money on, mm-hmm. if it's not if it's connected to a dinosaur unit that's something mm-hmm. else. I, w- yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about the the C word, which you said, which was cloud. Cause I get lots of questions. I'm not even in your space and I get questions on, should I move to the cloud? So I'm sure you have a lot of questions too. Yeah. But I want to preface this part here because I want to ask about client mix and, and how that's looking. Navoni, we talked about it earlier. Navoni is actually an online forum. It's a membership forum uh-huh. that, and it's mostly Dentrix users and they have access to you to get the expert advice, and then they also share among cells. Within your Navoni group, and I know you have independent clients too, what's the percentage do you think that have moved to the cloud?
1: Not a lot, actually. You know, I mean, it is growing quite a bit. It's growing at a rapid pace. You and I were just at the summit, the Henry Shine Summit, Dentrix Ascend is cloud-based and it is growing at a rapid pace which is great for offering offices a different platform and to give the user the most important thing is that the dental practice is using a product that fits their needs it's not that the cloud software is better than the dentrix core product which is an in-house software It's not that one is better or one is worse. It's just we need to figure out what's going to be best for the office. You know, I love forums and stuff, you know, chat rooms get on and cloud is the future and cloud is the best. One's not better than the other. It's just what's going to be best for you. Cloud is not the best solution for every office. It's just I think it's important that we ask the offices, tell me, you know, why do you think... The cloud is better for you. What are you looking to do with it? Why why are you wanting to switch to the cloud software? You know, I think it's just important that we ask those questions rather than promoting something that may not be the best for every office.
0: It comes up in conversation all of the time. When do you know a team is, or an office is ready to move to that? Is it more locations? Is it just that they don't want to spend a lot of money on hardware? What's that big reason that they move?
1: Well, usually multi-site practices, multi-locations. If you have in-house software, it's difficult if you're going to share patients and share accounts receivable. or You want to be able to see your multiple locations on one dashboard. That would be one big reason is if you do have multiple locations. But then you also have to look at what's my internet like here. When you move to the cloud, everything you do is dependent on internet speed, internet accessibility, all of that. You have to think about Is my internet reliable here where I live, where my practice is? But you still need hardware when you move to the cloud. You know, the only difference is you don't need a server. So that's
0: interesting. Because a lot of people think, okay, I don't need to buy like a million computers, but you still need every work done, right?
1: Yeah, you still need every workstation, but you just don't need a server because you're not storing any of your data mm. in-house. You're not having to do your own backup. You're not having to do your own storage of data. The server is out of play, but you still need a workstation. You still need dual monitors in your treatment rooms. You know, you still need signature devices. You still need cameras and you still need... All of that hardware, so it doesn't really change the cost of hardware. I don't think. I mean, you also don't need the network. The computers then connect to the internet instead of connect to the server.
0: I have a question for you, and you may not know the answer, but I just since I've got you, I might as well ask. So sometimes I used to go into offices, and the the dentrix update screen would pop up. I would say, "Yeah, has everybody updated?" And you would find that maybe three computers out of ten somebody clicked yes, update, and then. The other computers just mm-hmm. leave this update screen on. And like one girl was, well, that just pops up all the time. We just click no and go about our business. Aren't they all supposed to update at the same time? Like what what happens when you don't do that? When one workstation updates and the others don't,
1: how does that work? Well, in the Dentrix core uh, world, you can't have different computers on different versions. So they are technically, they're all still on the same version. It could be that somebody just clicked on that message and said, do not uh, show that to me again. So they paused the the pop-up, but that doesn't mean they did the update. It won't let you update one workstation and not the other. I just,
0: I mean, they were telling me that it's been this way for months.
1: I can guarantee you all the workstations are all on the same version.
0: <laughs> all right. <laughs> Yeah. So on Navoni, what are they talking about? Like, what's the biggest thing that they're talking about?
1: Gosh, it's a really variety group. What they really love is my group really likes to see best practices and they want to see what should I be doing daily, monthly, weekly? What should I be doing on a regular basis? Because it seems like my team just doesn't have a good protocol for managing these tasks. The questions I get most in Navoni, they're asking for for webinars is, tell me what we should be doing daily, what should we be doing weekly, and what should we be doing monthly? It's not necessarily questions about coverage tables and insurance. It's more about how do I manage my practice in the best way possible? That's what I love about my community, my Navoni people, is that they think really high level, which is awesome. They're really looking for how can my software help me run my business? You know, we all know that the practice management software, I mean, your entire day revolves around the practice management sure. software. What the questions I get are, can my practice management software, can Dentrix solve this for me? So that's just really cool that they're looking for ways that Dentrix or the practice management software can help them run their business. It
0: really is amazing how the role of checklists in, in any, actually any business really, but in healthcare and you know specifically, mm-hmm. there's just so many different tasks that managers have to do. And the software is capable of so much. It's just, you really don't use all of it as you know. But checklists, I mean, the most common checklist I would think, so let's talk about that for a second. So is it the the how to schedule a patient? Is it the different reports that you run? Is it HR management type stuff? So let's just take it from this. What checklist do you think is most important for an office manager to get started with first?
1: I think knowing the reports. I got an email this morning from a doctor who asked her office manager to get a report of all the employee adjustments that had happened all last year and she didn't know how to get it. I think our office managers and our practice administrators, they need to know how to extract data out of the software. So knowing where to find reports is just critical because what happens then is if the doctor doesn't get the report that they're looking for, and they, and the office manager comes back and says, I don't know if we even have that in our software. I don't think I can get that report just because she doesn't want to figure out how to sure. do it. Then the doctor thinks, oh, my software can't give me what I'm looking for. So I need to go search out a different practice management software. <laughs> That's like the vicious circle that happens all the time. And then they get in a chat room and say, oh, my practice management software can't give me an adjustment report. What software should I switch to? And I'm like, no, just find out how to run the right report. The
0: software's help support pages are usually very helpful. I mean, this is not just for Dentrix, but Eaglesoft had a great
1: I know. support base yeah. and
0: Open Dental. I mean, yes. Open Dental cracks me up though, because you, if they don't have a report, somebody will write up a query for the report and you have people who don't know how to write a report, but they're fine with importing this query and setting it up. And I'm like, wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And they're doing like some really low level coding, you know, with the copying and (laughs) and all of that. And it just cracks me up. So every, there isn't really a report out there that where they can't give you the basic guts of what's going on in your practice.
1: I mean, if you want an adjustment report, that's pretty easy to get. Yeah, exactly. I know. So just Google it. (laughs) I have so much content out there and blog posts and videos, and there's no reason why you should tell your doctor i don't know how to get that report i mean because there are so many resources like you said the help screens are phenomenal that's my biggest challenge right now is helping the office managers and the administrators and the doctors understand how to extract data out of their software for helping them run a better practice because you know one of my famous lines i tell I say a lot is numbers tell a story. And if you can't get the numbers, you're running this practice blind.
0: There's one section of the software that I think is so criminally underutilized. So tell me how you get people to use their continuing care more mm-hmm. efficiently. How much time should someone be using? And so this is the recare system. Yeah. How much
1: time should be dedicated to that and how underutilized do you think that is? A lot. One of the numbers that we need to be monitoring in the practice is our patient retention. So I go into practices a lot and I'll pull up the patient retention number and it'll be like 65%. You know, I'll ask the team, what do you think your patient retention is? What percentage of your patients do you feel are coming back in for regular care? And they will like, oh, you know, 90%, 100%. <laughs> And I'm like, you might want to sit down for this number. And you know, it's just because they don't work the reports. And you know, so going back to continuing care, I think what you have to do is marry your automated system. So if you're using a solution reach or a demand force or a lighthouse or some, some of those third party automated systems, you have to marry that system with your manual system in your, in your software. Because even though the, you know, email text messages are, is kind of the the wave right now. Everybody's tied to their phone. We have to realize that they can't reach a hundred percent of your patient base. There's still a manual system that has to happen. My recommendation that whoever's managing the continuing care, the recare system, you need to get on the phone and make at least 15 to 20 calls a week. That's kind of my, my rule. That's a really benchmark, actually. That's,
0: I mean, because that should yield a pretty decent amount of hygiene appointments if you just do that
1: consistently. Yeah. And it just breaks it down into smaller pieces. Pick two days a week and make 10 calls each of those two days. That's that's easy, 10 calls. So you're making, you know, maybe 40, 50 calls a month, which is doable.
0: You know, the other thing too is, is I think a lot of people will be tempted to say, okay, I'm going to pick 10 to 15 and send them an email or send them a text, but I think what you're saying is so much more important. We need to reach out. I don't think patients get that very much anymore.
1: No, they don't. And also we have to think about the reason you're calling these people is because they haven't received an email or a text Mm -hmm. or they're ignoring the emails and texts. There's a reason you have to pick up the phone. So don't just write them another email. They've already gotten an email or a text. There's a reason why you have to pick up the phone because it's your job. It's your responsibility to help get this patient back in for regular care. And so I think, you know, I, I recommend calling patients for probably two or three times and then at some point you have to let the patient go. I mean some at some point you have to send them a letter that says we've attempted to reach you. Your chart is collecting dust. We're going to inactivate your account, but you know, if you need us, please reach out to us. Because at some point you have to stop resources because your staff overhead, salary is the most expensive part of running a business and can't you can't continue to keep paying your team to call patients that are obviously either have gone somewhere else or they're not a priority is not their oral health. So I'm cracking up though because I <laughs> I've worked <laughs> with so many
0: doctors and you have too where you know you say what is your definition of an inactive patient and the doctor's like, What do you what's that? I they're all active, I know, you know? <laughs> And and the office manager is like, you know, behind them going two years or 18 months, you know, mouthing it silently. And there's always a difference in opinion. What what do you think, what's your most common benchmark when it comes to saying, you know what, this patient is just off the radar and we're done.
1: I think once they're about 18 months overdue, Mm -hmm. so you probably haven't seen them now in two years. I usually would send a Letter. So you've already sent emails and texts. You've already called them two or three times. Now I send a letter and I say, We've exhausted our resources in trying to reach you. We're, we still consider ourselves your dentist. However, it's now balls in your court. You're going to have to reach out to us. And then we, we inactivate the patient. You know, then we turn off any kind of correspondence for that patient. But you don't archive them or delete them out of your system or anything. My benchmark's usually about 18 months. By that time, either their, their oral health is not a priority or they've gone somewhere
0: else. And so when you archive a patient, um, and I think it's the, every software has this similar function, do you archive a patient yeah. after a certain amount of time because I know you said don't archive them but how long do you leave them inactive just forever?
1: Yeah, I would leave them inactive until the patient lets you know I've moved or I'm going to a different office or they die, you know, then you would archive them. And um, there's no reason why you can't just keep them inactive.
0: With the continuing care, so we talked a little bit about that. Do you find that most of your offices are preappointing? Is that
1: still uh, that's yes. still
0: a thing. I hope it's still a thing. My goodness.
1: Yes. Yeah, definitely. And that's
0: the goal, right? To get them to a point where they're at 90 something percent. What? Do, where are you happy when you see that number? Where's that number that makes you happy?
1: The number that makes me happy is in the high 80s for okay. sure. Okay. But an important piece of that, I'm a huge fan of block scheduling. If you pre-appoint and you're a busy office, you have to make sure that you keep open time available for those new patients that are going to be calling. I love pre-appointing, but I also want to make sure that you leave open time for scaling and root planning patients and new patients in your hygiene schedule. Block scheduling is
0: probably one of the biggest pushback areas. There's a real fear of how the heck is this going to work? And that never worked. We tried it ten years ago; <laughs>
1: and it didn't work. I know, and I hear that all the time. We've tried that, you know, and nobody used it. And yeah, when it, I when know. It
0: works, though. It really is. It's beautiful. It is, but it's it's so hard to get everybody on the same page. What? But I think the expectations are off. So what? What's the timeline to that? If you're telling an office, okay, we're going to implement block scheduling. Here it is. You've given them all the pieces. How long do you give them to make it work before you say, okay, you know what, you guys, this is not
1: what, how long? Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to get all hands in. It's like the basketball team before they go out on the court for the championship game is that you have to have all hands in. And that also means the coach, the leader of the practice also has to be all hands in. So before I even implement block scheduling, I want, and I do this physically in the office, is we do all hands in on top of each other. So it is, we are all engaged in this. It's not, via email, everybody's all hands in. I mean, I physically get everybody to Good. do it. It's important that the team hold the team accountable to that because what will happen is the hygienist is going to pre-schedule her recare patient right in the middle of a new patient block. And she's going to say, well, that's the only time the patient could come in. And it's like, no, that's not the only time the patient could mm-hmm. come in. So you have to hold the team accountable for that. When I say the doctor has to be all hands in, the doctor a lot of times starts to get really freaked out because he sees the opening yeah. in their schedule, in their schedule next week. And he's like coming up to the scheduler saying, why do I have a hole in my schedule next week or two days from now? So it's also the doctor needs to have faith in the block scheduling and, and let it play out like it's supposed to. If you just put warm bodies in the chair, then, you know, you're never going to make goal. You're never going to get out on time for lunch. You're never going to go home on time. Everybody's going to be running around like, like chickens with their heads cut off because, you know, there's no organization to the schedule at all. It it
0: definitely, I mean, I, I definitely see that happening. Uh, There was one client that I, we tried I think probably three times to do block scheduling. And each time the doctor, she was the one who was like, I'm too nervous. It's look at all this open time. And and the front office, the admin team was all in and they ready to do it. But she just kept overriding. So I, that I'm glad you said something about the doctor's fear. I want to acknowledge that. Of course, they're scared, but you got to let the system work.
1: You do. You have to let the system work. It takes a lot of discipline and a lot of faith, not religious Mm. faith, but, you know, faith in the system that your team is going to make it happen. And, And then the hygienists also have to have the discipline to not let the patient dictate the time. That's why it's all hands-in or it's not going to work. So
0: I didn't know you did block scheduling in office. I know you did do a lot of training. So what else are you doing in office that I don't know about?
1: (laughs) What usually happens, so here's kind of how my in-office training kind of rolls down. So what happens is, you know, our first day of training, or usually if I do an assessment, if I hear from team members, I wish, you know, if you could change one thing in your day, what would it be? And if I start to hear, I wish we could stay on time. I wish we could make goal. I wish I could get out on time for lunch. I wish I didn't run late every day. If I start to hear those kinds of things, then I'm going to try and get them to do block schedule because block scheduling will solve all of those issues. Yeah.
0: When you go in to an office, is it one day, two days? I mean, how much?
1: The sweet spot, three days. First day is usually... um, No patients, full day learning with the whole team. Then second day is in office with patients implementing. And then third day morning implementation more, and then uh, review in the afternoon. That's that's kind of the sweet spot right there. And then
0: follow up. Do you offer follow up after that?
1: Yeah, then we do usually an online team meeting three to four weeks later, and then they all everybody gets a ninety day membership to Navoni. We do usually online follow ups after that.
0: You've probably run into a lot of resistant resistant to training. How do you handle res- that resistant person in the office? How do you handle them?
1: Well, I think that because I've been in dentistry for over 25 years, I can relate to them just like I would be military person in the trenches with them. Okay. I've, I've been in their shoes. I think where people I can turn them around is that I've, I've done what you're doing. I've been in your shoes. And so they can usually open up to me in a way that they wouldn't be able to open up to maybe. Uh, another consultant that maybe hasn't been doing what they've been doing for 25 years. So I think that that really helps is just my hands-on experience in the practice, you know, for, for that many years. And, and I just, I just understand what they're going through. Is there
0: any time that a doctor is, I mean, obviously the doctor is the one who's paying for your training, but is there any time that you've run into where the doctor is the obstacle? Not usually. The interesting
1: thing is a lot, sometimes the doctors aren't even there. Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I went in, I went into an office. In fact, um, Lois Banta, she refers offices to me and I went into an office that Lois Banta was consulting with and um, I spent three days with the office And the doctor wasn't even at the office the whole entire time. It's interesting that the doctors actually have a lot of trust in the teams when they hire me. I just love that. I just, you know, I want the doctors to be there, of course, but when they have that much trust and, you know, faith in their team to do this without him being there, it really empowers them. It's amazing. I just, I think it's wonderful.
0: Well, with Lois as their consultant, I mean, of Probably have gotten to a a really high level. So definitely.
1: definitely. Yeah. A
0: lot of sense.
1: Oh, the doctor does sometimes push back on some of my recommendations. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what what exactly are they like objecting to? Spending your money? Is that oh, pro- no, that's usually no, the objection? Nope. That's usually not <laughs> the objection. Um the objection is usually that I want to make them work harder than they want to work. A lot oh. of it comes <laughs> down to documentation. I mean, you did a webinar for Navoni. You remember last year you did a webinar for us on notes and documentation? Yeah, yeah. And so I take a lot of your advice and I force them to do more thorough documentation than they've ever wanted to do in the past.
0: It just saves them though. I tell you how many times I've had, you know, emails saying, you know, after we took your course, we did this and then we got a notification of an audit. Thank God we had done that type of stuff and and changed the notes and, you know, I I only do limited in office, you know, on insurance training, but the one thing I require is that the doctor and the the rest of the clinical team have to be there for at least 1 hour or 2 hours. Because the documentation piece is so key to getting paid, covering your butt. It's, I I can't get you paid. And you and I talk about this all the time that, you know, insurance companies are requesting more and more information. I mean, we're just at this point now where we we have to really take a good, hard look at what's going Mm -hmm. on in medicine and realizing that that level of documentation is, that should be our norm as well.
1: Yeah. In fact, so today's webinar for Navoni is part three of a series that I did on titled Protecting Your License. You have to document more thoroughly than you've ever had to do before.
0: And are you doing webinars on Navonia? I know you were doing um, them monthly. Is it still
1: monthly on there? I usually do a couple a month and we record them. And so I'm usually doing at least one topic webinar on Dentrix. And then I usually have a guest speaker once a month. And then we do a couple, what's called ask the experts, which is an open Q and A, you know, just call in, ask me whatever questions you want and I'll help you work through things. We're probably doing three to four webinars a month.
0: That's phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a lot of, I mean,
1: you're, you're churning out little Dentrix gurus. Oh that's yeah. Great. I know. I love that. <laughs> I know. It's so fun. We call them super users.
0: <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. Cause you had little, like little super user yeah. buttons that ate on yeah. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So how was that meeting for you? We were both at the ADOM meeting and I know I've talked to Kevin about this, um, just the wrap up and all, but I don't know if you and I have talked, how was the meeting for you overall?
1: It was good. You know, their meeting is probably one of my favorite meetings throughout the whole year. It really gives you an opportunity to show off your services to a, a group of really high level team members, which is great. So the meeting was great. They really do a great job at getting the attendees out to the the vendors so we get a lot of traffic
0: you were always your table was always busy because you you know a lot of your regular users were like really excited to see you and talk to you so that that was really cool every time I stopped by the the table you guys were just (laughs) yeah just kind of slip my purse in there and then go about my business use
1: our booth use our booth for your your Holding your stuff, your jacket. That's right. Navoni yep. is my storage space, <laughs> my meeting
0: space. You know, I'm like, oh, meet me at the Navoni booth, and it really helps because you're always like in a really good place in the ballroom. So, yeah, yeah, um, it just works for me. So, thank you for your your oh, story. Yeah.
1: I appreciate that <laughs> absolutely. Our Teresa storage locker. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'm so excited for you guys going on this trip. You're going to South Africa.
1: Oh my gosh! I know. In fact, when I get off the phone with you, I need to call my my doctor and make sure that my malaria pills get called in.
0: <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I hear yeah. you have to take a whole bunch of pills. And, well, and I think, does it make you a little nauseous than malaria? That's what I've read.
1: You know, so Kevin was looking up, you know, what are the requirements when you go to South Africa? And so there's no like shots requirements. So you don't have to get shots or anything, but they do recommend that you have malaria pills on hand. So just in case, you know, you get bit by a mosquito that you could take a malaria pill to prevent you from getting it. So I, I, we just have to have them on hand.
0: I mean, I'm pretty sure you're going to get bit by a
1: mosquito. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know.
0: Isn't that like a hundred percent chance? Like, <laughs> probably, you know, so. <laughs> and so safaris or anything? Like what do you have planned?
1: As soon as we land in Johannesburg, we immediately are going to Kruger National Park. And we're going to do a three-day uh, three nights safari uh, inside Kruger National Park. So that'll be fantastic. But then we're speaking at the South African Dental Association on Saturday, October 13th. So Kevin's doing the assistant track and I'm doing part of the practice management track. And then on our way to Cape Town, we're going to be doing some doctor study clubs along the way. Oh, wow, you guys are busy. Yeah, I know. Isn't that? It's just going to be so fun. I'm so excited.
0: Well, I hear it's very beautiful there. So I'm, I'm excited to see your Facebook pics and, and all of that yes I don't know if you have internet in the middle of the safari but
1: <laughs> I'm hoping that we do Kevin and I are going to do a Navoni webinar while we're there oh fun, fun. yeah yeah so I'm counting on it right. uh that we have internet
0: yep well as long as you're not talking in the camera and then all of a sudden you're running and the camera's
1: running, <laughs> right <laughs> Exactly. I'm running from a cheetah or something. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um,
0: okay. So is there anything else that you'd like to let the audience know about?
1: Well, I just wanted to go back to, we kind of got off track when we started talking about hardware.
0: Oh, yeah, that happens. I'm
1: <laughs> I know. I just wanted to reel really you back in back to our topic of the day was, so one of the most common questions I get, Lois Banta, she'll text me and she'll like say, their dentrix system is so slow it's probably not dentrix <laughs> it's probably the network or the that computer or the server or something. It's probably a hardware issue more so than the a dentrix issue you know so everybody wants to blame the practice management software, but a lot of times we have to diagnose exactly what it is, and you know a lot of offices they'll they'll put in a network, and when I say network. What I'm talking about is the actual cable that plugs into the computer and goes to the network box. So you might have 15 workstations that are all plugged into the same network box. These network cables, they run all through the office, in through the ceilings or through the floor or whatever. An office thinks that, oh, I can install a network and then I never have to touch it again for 20 years. Well... It doesn't work that way. A lot of times the office needs to look at the hardware and see, does the hardware meet the requirements of this software? And, you know, so anytime, you know, kind of going back to upgrades, if we're going to upgrade our Dentrix software, for example, up to G7, which is coming up right now, the most important thing is that your hardware Exceeds the recommendation, not just meet the recommendations, I would exceed the recommendations. And so we have to look at network speed, we have to look at the server components, we have to look at the workstation components. If you do an upgrade without looking at those hardware components or ignore any kind of warning signs, then you're just setting yourself up for a slow system. That's really important that offices look at their hardware in addition to those software components. And so uh, that's usually one of the biggest things that gets ignored is the network. And so it's important that you kind of treat it like you would maintenance on your house. How's the roof doing? Well, you know, you might need to replace it here in a couple of years. And that's something that you could contract or have your hardware company on retainer and say, okay, well, we're going to need to replace the network cables here in the next 12 to 24 months or something and and budget that into your annual budget.
0: I didn't even think of that because you really just, you just assume that the computer is going to be fine. You don't, I didn't even think about
1: the cables. Yeah. The cables make, make a huge difference in the network speed and the speed of the software.
0: And I do see a lot of dentists that are like they look at the minimal work, minimum requirements and they're like, okay, I just need to meet this, but you're right. <laughs> that's like that's like the, the like that that's the worst computer that the software can run on. That's basically what they're
1: telling. Why not just upgrade a little bit, go a little bit higher. Well and that way it's gonna last longer. How how
0: often are you seeing them replace their workstations?
1: Usually I mean workstations can go three to mm-hmm. five years. And, that's, yeah. that's not bad. and a server can go a little
0: bit longer than that. It's not bad, though. Nowadays, I mean, they're fast. Yes. But remember when 20 years ago, Dana, when we were starting out, well, years and years ago, within two or three years, software speed, yeah. you know, RAM had doubled and all that. And it was like, oh, my gosh, like you were having to change computers every two years or so just because the capacity, everything just started increasing so exponentially. And now we're just we're at a point where it's it's good. You know. It's not going crazy anymore.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I mean I think if you're gonna an IT company on retainer, look to see if they have any kind of packages that would include replacing the computers every three to five years as just part of the package.
0: And what was that company that you use in Colorado?
1: Cornerstone.
0: They're the most popular here in Colorado. I'll put a link in there for that. And I have a friend down in Jacksonville and also in Northern Virginia, Nova Consulting. I'll um I'll put a link in them as well. I yeah. think it's great to have the computer guy on retainer. It's just it's, it makes yeah. life so much easier. And office managers, we just don't have the time to do that kind of stuff.
1: We just right. know, we're dangerous. Right. <laughs> I mean the office manager needs to know who to call. She's busy. She doesn't have time to spend time troubleshooting the computer system. She's valuable. She has to be spending time doing patient care. If the hard if the office manager is spending time troubleshooting computer issues, why not just farm that out for Six hundred bucks a month, that's a no brainer to contract that out to somebody that really knows what they're doing. It's that expertise
0: you're paying for so that you don't have that big, you know, meltdown in the future, which, you know, like you said, if the computer is done, you're done. I mean, just sitting around for the day, you're paying employees much more than six hundred to sit around and wait for you to fix it. So I agree. I agree completely. So I'm going to let people know about Navoni. I will make sure that there is a link in the show notes and we'll make sure that they know also about Cornerstone and Nova computers. And then also I'll go into your site or maybe if you could just send me like the most recent public webinars that you do, I'll, I'll put a list down on that, find it. And, uh, yeah. And then your Navoni page, of course, your Facebook page always is out good information. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we'll absolutely do that. So, thank you, Dana. I'm glad that you're you finally came on. Um, not that the holdup was you. The holdup <laughs> was definitely me. And <laughs> and we'll have to make sure that we do this uh, more often because this this kind of stuff is the the real. Nobody told me that. You know, we don't talk very much about software. We're so. Concerned with patients and reporting and all that we don't really talk about software very often so okay. i'm glad that you are here thank you
1: well thank you so much it was a pleasure yeah
0: well and i will see you on the road i always do and for everybody else uh thank you for spending the last hour with us and make sure to connect with dana on instagram linkedin facebook all of those pages check out navoni and as usual i want to say to you thank you very much for listening and we will be back for the next podcast Subscribe to this podcast so you'll get our next candid discussion. Visit Teresa's website, odysseymgmt.com. That's odysseymgmt.com for more information on Teresa's courses,
1: books, and speaking schedule. Subscribe to her newsletter while you're there. Don't say we didn't tell you that.